Sherry Roundtables by the House of Bustau. And welcome to the very first episode of the Lustau Sherry Roundtables. My name is Chelsea Anton and as you can hear, I'm Australian, but I've been living here in my father's country, Spain, for the last eight years, where I've dedicated a huge amount of my time to building the global digital footprint for the Sherry Wine Council. I've worked in marketing for the past 20 years with the last 12 years specifically focused on digital. And I can proudly call myself a certified Sherry educator and I'm also the founder of International Sherry Week, which for those of you who don't know what Sherry Week is, it's a worldwide celebration held every year in the first week of November, driven through social media and digital platforms. And it's an excuse for anyone that sells, promotes, loves, drinks, Sherry to get together in restaurants, bars, wine schools around the world for one week and learn and talk about Sherry. So I am honoured and a little bit nervous to be presenting tonight's first roundtable presented by Lustau. And I'm joined with an extremely talented panel of wine, marketing and communication professionals. Over the next hour, we are going to discuss the state of Sherry in terms of marketing and communications and what we think could be done better based on our professional experiences. But before we get started, I think it's really important I introduce each of our guests, starting with Sarah Jane Evans, who is an award-winning writer and master of wine and, in fact, wrote her master wine thesis on the Almanifista producers of Jerez, which Lustau is famous for. Sarah Jane is also co-chairperson of the Decanter World Wine Awards, a certified cherry educator, and she is soon to publish her second book about Spanish wine. This time, this edition is focused on central wine and southern Spain, which includes, of course, sherry. Welcome, Sarah Jane. I am super excited that you could join us. This is great and so good to be, to be uh, in, in the first session. I think this series is going to be terrific. Awesome. What are you drinking before we um, – actually, well, I should tell you what I'm drinking. Yeah. Asked you, then I just gazumped you. I'm drinking a Fino and Rama from El Puerto, which is basically – it's like drinking it straight from the barrel. What have you got? Well, I've got something that's been in a barrel a little bit longer. It's an Almathanista wine. I had to choose one because, obviously, they're in my heart. And uh, it's a Manzanilla, but it's a Manzanilla Posada. So, in fact, it comes from San Luca, and you can see that it has, therefore, a more – a deeper colour. Um, mm. It's obviously the Manuel Cuevas Jurado. So it's something in wine marketing terms, it says to me, I'm a bit more complicated. I'm not your average regular bottle. I need a sommelier or, a, or somebody uh, smart to introduce me to it. But if I drink it, wow, then it's a pleasure. Oh, I think I'm going to have to ask for that one next. Why I didn't get that? I got all finos. I love Marthenia Pasada. Bueno, so now we're going to move over to the USA where we have Ray Isle, Executive Wine Editor at Food and Wine Magazine for the past 10 years. But prior to that, he was Managing Editor at Wine and Spirits Magazine. So I think it's fair to say he has an excellent handle on how to communicate wine to consumers and professionals. Ray is also an award-winning journalist, taking home twice the International Association of Culinary Professionals Award for Narrative Beverage Writing. He also speaks regularly on U.S. programs such as Today, CNBC's On the Money and Squawk Box, NPR's All Things Considered, and American Public Media's Splendid Table, among others. Welcome, Ray. I'm very personally excited to have you. Lucas raves about you and has told me all the work that you guys have done together. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. It's, this is a blast, and it's um, 
Um, and it's delicious too. I, it's like, you know, I get to talk and, and drink wonderful sherry. Um, and I'm just to answer the question that's inevitable. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of paralleling you with the, with the Anrama thing, except that I'm drinking the Manzanilla Anrama, um, from San Lucar. Um, and uh, that's the, the bottle. Yep. And, uh, it's, and I've got the matching fino. Yeah. And it's not quite as hot here as it is, you know, in Perez at the moment, good. but it's pretty darn hot. So this is quite good. Muy bien. So now we're going to head back to Europe, to Athens, in fact, where we are joined by Giorgio, also known as Wine Ginny, a digital wine marketer boasting more than 150,000 active followers across her digital profiles. Georgia combines her background in chemical engineering, wine management, and digital marketing to provide wine brands with communication strategies that create a digital impact. She studied the wine market in 30 countries, but she's yet to come to Sherry Country, which is why I personally <laughs> wanted you to join this particular Sherry Roundtable. Mm. Hello. Hello. Welcome. I'm so hi. pleased you're here. How you hi, doing? Hi. Um, I'm very, very well. Thank you so much for having me tonight. And I say tonight because in Athens it's 10 p.m. <laughs> in the night. Mm-hmm. I'm it's a nice breeze. Uh, it, it's a nice breeze because it's super hot. So I have, you know, everything on <laughs> here in the room. Uh, I'm super excited to be with you tonight. For me, I feel super, super honored. And I'm very excited to discuss with you one of my favorite topics, which is wine communication. I have in my glass Efino Harana. I think this is the name. Uh, exactly so- it. Super bright and light and refreshing and full of bakery notes and almond. I think it's amazing for um, your aperitivo, you know, very light and amazing for summer. Brilliant. Great. Well, I'm really pleased you're here. Thanks for making the time. So now we're moving down back to the United Kingdom where we welcome Nick Room a Decanter World Wine Awards and International Wine and Spirits competition judge with more than 30 years' experience in wine. Nick worked as a wine buyer for UK's premium supermarkets, buying wine from a number of countries, including Spain and, of course, Sherry. He has fought hard to retain shelf space for the Sherry sector over the years, which has given him in-depth knowledge of what certain demographics of shoppers respond to in terms of the styles and price points. Today, Nick has his own consultancy, RT Wine Solutions, offering tastings, education and strategic advice to wineries seeking to export into the UK market. Hola, Nick. How are you doing? Hi, I'm fine. How are you, Chelsea? I'm good. Good. I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me along. It's great to be here. And um, thank you very much to Lustau as well for putting this on. I think it's a great opportunity for us to talk about sherry, which is a product I've always enjoyed. Uh, fortified is one of my big strengths in, in, in the wine business, and I've enjoyed it very much, drinking as well as talking with all the producers and, and so on. So tonight I've got a little bit different wine. Um, this is the Lustau Imperatriz Eugenia, um, mm. rare old Oloroso, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous, nutty, dry, um, quite intense, but very complex and uh, soft and oh, lovely, lovely wine. Um, delicious. And of course, you see it's an amber colour because it is slightly cooler here than it is in Athens or Hera. Come to that. Um, I think Sarah Jane would attest. It's a bit sort of parky at times. Yep. So I decided to go for this. Um, we're not we're not basking in sunshine. I've even got a sweater on. But um, anyway, looking forward to the discussion. And, I don't know um, if yeah, we're basking. We're, 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 we're glistening. <laughs> Rather than. So thank you very much as well, Nick, for making the Cheers. time to join us. The topic is a little bit controversial. 
uh, of today's roundtable, which is, has the rev- sherry revolution been and gone? We thought this was a great topic to kick off the series, given there has been continued rave reviews and reports of a sherry revolution since 2014. But the category overall, which is no secret, has been experiencing a decrease in sales year on year. But despite the great reviews, the increased endorsements by Michelin star chefs and even the success of Sherry Week, which um, is predominantly through digital platforms, all of this is not translating into the increase in sales we all believe Sherry deserves. So this this particular discussion is is what are we doing wrong and what can we be done what could be done better based on our own experiences? For really a long time, it was uh, for you know many of us in Europe and in the world, sherry was this great wine, internationally known. Everybody had sherry in their cupboard. It was something that you'd find on the Queen's dinner table. And so when I went to university, I went to Cambridge University, my father on the first day bought me a bottle of Laina and a bottle of San Patricio and said to me, um, these are your first bottles of sherry after that you'll have to buy your own so in that day he was talking to a student to say i understand you'll be drinking sherry and when you have your tutor sessions with your with your uh, professors they will be sharing a glass of sherry with you so that's how the culture was so then we have these really seismic changes which happen and what we then ended up with i think as a situation to put it bluntly sherry didn't see what was coming Sherry, the world changed and Sherry didn't change with it. We can look back on the last 30 years, maybe not the last five years, possibly not the last 10, but before that, mm. certainly Sherry was moving into a really industrial way of making and of selling. And it was just a few big brand names. Then, <laughs> then uh, I have to say, and we can talk about it later, you know, the Conseca regular doors and a huge amount of work on education, marketing, all of those things. But at the same time, as you mentioned, the image of of Sherry is just not changing fast enough. I think that the world changed. Here we are. We've now got this very diverse drinking culture outside and Sherry just or didn't notice it or didn't understand the messages. Spain came late to the market in terms of coming late to Europe, in terms of being part of the developing West and all of that, um, and open markets. So, you know, one could forgive them quite a bit. But actually, they then got locked into these brands. And then in the end of that, a number of us, I'm sure you included, have been to um, wine courses, run particularly by the WSET, when the education was all about how the wine is made, not about where it comes from. So, I, you know, we can probably all talk to each other very technically about Solera systems and all of that. But actually, when you're communicating with a customer, you know, that's not the message that you, well, I'll hear from your, our colleagues what other people think. But actually, all my knowledge about the Solera system actually doesn't necessarily sell a single bottle. It's a bit of a complicated message, really, uh, which Sherry needs to get across. Um, and it would be interesting to see what progress some of the brands are making on, on trade because there has been a revolution. I think Sarah Jane will back this up in the UK with uh, sherry bars and mm-hmm. uh, restaurants and that sort of thing. And fortunately, you know, people who go to those sort of places like to like to taste 
great sherry and we'll go out and look for them especially if they're sort of hand sold them and, and given the opportunity to to um to you know, liaise with the with, with the waiter or sommelier um so to find out you know what these wines are why they're so special where they come from again to sarah's point not not necessarily what the brand is but where it comes from and and you know, get to taste it um and that that's you know perhaps the secret which needs to be exposed but it's a hard graft is it from a UK perspective, um, before I move on to the other guys, is just the do many is your perception that people come in and ask for it because they've been to the region, or are they just curious foodies and open to wanting of read or heard about it and want to try it? Because I don't know if you know that the Sherry Triangle, the bodegas, are the number one visited wineries in Europe, which I find fascinating. That then that's not translating to sales, which I think might be something that's a lack of continued 360 marketing from the winery's point of view i mean honestly for the u.s sherry is not up in the highest spain destinations i think people's first their minds first go to barcelona or they go to madrid or play or, or bilbao you know, places that aren't wine related because people don't think of traveling to, to drink to go to bodegas and drink sherry as a tourist destination um if they get to spain then they might consider taking a day or two there but it's it's a the first thing is they have to get to Spain. They have to have Spain top of mind first. And then the usual top of mind places after that are, are the urban areas. And then they try and figure out wine from there. But it's, it's, um, it's interesting in the U.S. I mean, there's not, you know, the, there isn't as deep a tradition of drinking sherry as there is in the U.K. for sure. The, there's, there's no question in my mind that the sweeter styles, which are the ones that are diminishing, and the, and the, and the sort of baseline level creams and, and, and whatnot, some of which are, are domestically made and aren't even really sherry at all, um, are an older um, older clientele for sure. But I'm not yeah, sure. someone's trying to, to ping us, but we're not listening. Ah, okay. In any case, um, <laughs> you know, what, I, what I think is, is fascinating about sherry is that um, it, the flavors, particularly the dry cherries, really actually do go hand-in-hand with what younger consumers is more savory, um, you know, more minerally um, kind of, you know, this, the, the, the Manzanilla I was drinking has a saltiness that a lot of, uh, I mean, I think goes for a lot of the dry white wines that people are beginning to be into. That's not a, that's not say a mass audience. You know, you're still going to see more Tinbuck Chardonnay sold than anything else. But I think there is an audience out there that would be, that would like these wines if they knew what they were and they understood these wines, if they knew what they were and they understood, you know, and, um, and unfortunately, the, whoever said it earlier, there's just a, uh, a vast amount of complexity and, and some tricky lack of messaging about it. Because you, you can't take a, 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 a consumer audience that doesn't know wine deeply well already and then try and explain every single thing about sherry because they'll get lost within seconds. So it's simply like, is it dry or is it sweet? Mm. Is a is a baseline question for buyers in the U.S. that's not clear from the label on, on most sherries. You know, to see what can be done with Manzanilla or what can be done with you know with, with Montiato to a new audience that's and, and honestly, an audience, the younger audience in the U.S. is much more into wine than my generation was when I was that age. You know, and so there's an opportunity there. I I think to to get them aware of it. It's just, it's just, how do you break through? And additionally, there's just tremendous competition from every country in the world. In most of the countries, uh, there was this gap 
to communicate the wines in the right way. So they had, you know, this long history. There's such a huge diversity in the wine industry. But most of the wineries, because they, they don't really have in-house, you know, digital marketing people, which is normal. It was something very, very new. And when I started, that was four years ago, that social media in the wine industry were still doing their baby steps in a way. Mm. So I saw this as an opportunity to start, let's say, building my own brand. At the beginning, it wasn't something that I had in mind. But when I started blogging about my travels and I started communicating in my own way the regions that I was visiting, the wines that I was trying, I saw that it was something that was super engaging for uh, my generation. So a lot, you know, people in their uh, mid-20s, 30s, they started being very interested because they could relate, you know, with me. And as the time was going by and I was changing and also the branding, let's say, of what I was doing was changing, uh, there was this big acceptance also from the industry that for me that was, you know, fantastic. So I understood that I was doing something different in a way. And I, I think that what I'm doing is engineering in wine communications. So I tried to break down, in a way, um, the problems of the wineries and I tried to communicate them in my own way. Since the beginning, what I was trying to communicate to the people was not just the wines. It was a full experience. And I think this is the key to... to successful wine communication in the digital era. So we live in a, in a generation, at least, you know, the millennials are those people who want everything to be user-friendly. So in terms, let's say, in the, in the seri situation, so the millennials want things to be easy, to be, you know, broke down in, let's say, in easy user-friendly details, and also they want to feel the experience. They want to feel that they share the same values with the brand. So it's super important for them to, if you want to reach them, reach them with emotions. So for me, emotional marketing is the key. And this is what I'm always trying to do, even if sometimes uh, it seems, let's say, sp spontaneous. It's always you know, behind my mind that I want to create emotions to the people. Are we trying to be too educated in what Sherry is? Are we too complicated and we're going to all the, you know, the, the top songs and, you know, those who already know, like preaching to the converted? Have we completely missed uh, a market? What do you think of that, Ray? Well, I think, you know, I don't actually, I do think that the, the and it's kind of a classic marketing technique at this point in one, at least in the U.S., is that you, you know, you sell to restaurants to gain visibility and then, and then that trickles down to retail sales. And I think that works with sherry and that I think a lot of the people who buy, let's call it interesting sherry, as opposed to cheap, not good sherry, you know, are probably in the U.S. brought to the awareness that it exists by means of having had it in a restaurant. Um, the, but what's interesting is, um, and it was going on in the chat as we were talking, one of the problems in the U.S. 
and it may be true in the UK too, is that sherry, dry or sweet, tends to be filed in retail in the, in the dessert wine section. And it's often the case that it's on restaurant menus in the same place. It doesn't matter whether it's bone dry or or PX, you know, yeah. royal viscosity sweetness. And mm-hmm. and that's that's a form of anti-education. Kind of fascinating that Riesling has had a tremendous amount of sommelier and, 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 and um, journalist support. Riesling is, is without any question, the, the wine that sommeliers and journalists have been most rah-rah about over the past years. It has not translated to sales. No. Um, it doesn't translate to sales. George, I mentioned it because the first... Uh... My relationship with Sherry has always been about the emotion because I, when I first went to Spain, it was like I went as this chilly English woman, which I remain, but in Spain, I'm a, well, I assure you, I'm a different person. I mean, I'll look it. But it's also been related to food and the mm-hmm. whole experience of food. Mm-hmm. It's not been something, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm obliged on occasions to drink it technically, but it's always mm-hmm. been about at 12 o'clock, going into a bar, having something to eat, having small things to eat, not doing the British thing of having a large meal with a knife and fork, but the whole culture of drinking and enjoying sherry um, is something that maybe is harder to, uh, you know, in the US one should be able to do it. In the UK, maybe it's been harder for us mm. to translate because we live indoors, we don't live on the streets mm. so much, so with climate change that helps. But certainly, uh, and the combination of, of food and alcohol is kind of super important. Um, during my time with buying sherry, I, I've tried to promote sherry, the food and wine connection, certainly with the you know, upper tier sherries, which we sold in, in, in the retail I was responsible for. Um, and we tried to match, um, to match. The, the sort of um, fruits that would go with different styles of sherry. Uh, and there have been very good um, communication um, messages put out by, by, by um, you know, social media. Um, to suggest that you know, food and wine does go very well together. Um, and there are rosé brands and um, gin brands and so on, which have concentrated on trying to build some kind of story, some, some angle for drinks along with foods and build the market that way. And that borrows on the, the, the on-trade um, and the restaurants. I mean, restaurants would recommend cherries and then customers would go out hopefully and look for them and be given um, by, the, by the brand owners you know, leads as to where to where to find them. Um, so I think there's something there which perhaps Sherry's missed out on the the food and and um, when food and wine craze, because Sherry is enjoyable through the meal. You need to know what to drink with each course, but and it doesn't need to be elaborate. But um, just to give some guidelines, I think would be a good thing. I think Sherry is one of those brands, and you work around it. But I <laughs> wanted to introduce um, this bottle, which I've also got, which is another way of using your sherry. And this is Vermouth. And it seems yeah. to me like we're, we're talking, it's an entirely yeah. uh, Spanish thing. It's yeah. full of Spanish herbs yeah. and it's an absolute spot on Vermouth. And this is a serious wine communicating to a different generation. <laughs> altogether. Yeah. I just think it's a very smart thing to do. They're not the Lustauer. This is a Lustauer bottle, but um, yeah. Fernando Castilla doing it. Yeah. Um, so talking sure. more about innovations, like so that's new... It, so you can make a, a really good wine and still just begin to diversify. Dry rosé was a dead category in the U.S. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Mean, and, and there was, you know, it, it shifted to being a very, 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 very live category, obviously. Um, and, it, and it was through a, a number of things. I think it reached a nadir for one thing and it had to come back from zero. But it was tied to 
summer in cool places, in cool desert and so on. It was tied to celebrities drinking it. Um, I think you can argue that rosé is the first category that's been significantly boosted by social media and by visual appeal. Um, yeah. There's, I, I think, I, I, getting rid of the name Sherry is a, is a, is a dead end of a, of a marketing choice. I agree. I'd agree. But I think mm-hmm. that there is room within that too. You could simply have a campaign for Fino. Um, you know. Okay, so talking more about the profiles, like yeah, focusing yeah. on a specific profiles and, and yeah. to build awareness that way. And I, I do think that way. I mean, look at Rosé. Rosé is a is a vast category at this point. But if you look at something equally complex that actually has had growth, um, sake in the U.S. has had pretty substantial growth over the past few years, you know, the past seven years, mm-hmm. and from a, very, from a small base and from within, within an incredibly complex, not understood by consumers, um, consumer product that moreover is labeled in kanji, you know, is has unreadable labels, and it might be worth the share for sort of looking at what sake has done to promote itself because it's worked quite well. Um, and it's and it's equally you know missing natural wine is a massive shakeup in, in in the wine business. It doesn't actually translate to vast right. sales yet. Um, in that you know if you look at it as a percentage of the US wine market, it's very tiny, but in terms of the attention it's received, in terms of the amount of awareness among young consumers it has, it's really kind of fascinating. Hereth for a long time was going to a tasting that they did where they produced the soils and they had the map of the vineyards and they said, this is the vineyard, this is the soil, and here's the wine. And we had never heard Hereth talk like that before. I can feel the emotion now. We all stood up more or less with tears in our eyes and cheered. And that was a, okay, that was a specialist group of, of kind of wine geeks. But I think, um, I feel I could communicate that. If I bring my husband's colleagues next next week, next year, and we go and stand in a vineyard and feel the soil and have that closeness to it. So, and, But I do think there's a possibility that that's another way in because those wines, like this sherry, should be drunk in wine glasses. It's that whole thing about we haven't been serving wine properly, simple things like that. Serve them in wine glasses. Don't worry about giving a smaller portion and see how they enjoy it. We have another question from William Kleiser, I think, that he's asked, do you think that the problem of popularity for sherry is simply down to marketing, which I think has been discussed quite a bit throughout this topic it's not is it just marketing or is it that it's being left behind as we said before i think it is a complex subject and the trouble is that um the the premium sherries are putting it across as a as as a complicated topic um so i think if if um certain brands can can focus in on just one or two styles and really market them well then I think simple messages will help a lot. Um, and if they can build an aura around it with a Spanish, you know, Spanish theme and, and some emotion around that and build the story, I think that's the way forward, um, especially if they can get that out on social media and, and develop sort of clubby feel as sort of, you know, um, come and taste with us, come and taste these wines, you know. Um, and, and, yeah, I think that's the way forward. But certainly if you think about whiskey, whiskey has... Endless categories. And if you're, a, yeah. you know, um, I'm, I'm, I don't even begin to know the first thing about it, but I, I know that my mm-hmm. inbox is full of whiskey emails. You know, you could ha- have perfectly easily communicate a story. I've got here 
this manzanilla passada. You've got mm. one of you who's got manzanilla, regular manzanilla and rama mm. in the glass, ready, mm. maybe, mm. Uh, or mm. both of you and Chelsea. So you can just talk about this is I've got the young, I've got this wine, I've got the young version and the older version. And, you know, there's a lot of a story that you can build around similarly with Amontillado, which is a, a young wine, which gradually turned into an older one. Mm. Uh, mm. Oloroses maybe started old, but you know, there are ways of sh- short circuiting the language so that yeah. if you want to go further, you can, but you've got quite simple message, maybe based around aging uh, that, you know, w- would work like a whiskey message. Cause we're so engaged with each other, but meanwhile it's like, there's all these questions, which I w- I'd really like to try and get to, but I have picked up a few that are saying about, it not being um, in the correct section, like you go into a wine store and the Fino's on the bottom next to a port, um, or it's in the dessert wine of the menu. So how can wines like Fino make their way into the correct section, do you think? Well, that's, I mean, that's partly education in, in stores. It, I mean, I think that it, unfortunately for retail, it gets, it sure gets lumped into just a general category of put it in the shelf for the fortified alcohol. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's making somehow making stores realize they will actually sell more Finos and Manzanillas if they take them out of that section and put them somewhere else, because that's not a section that people go to for things to have with dinner, um, for instance. And, and so maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a retail program that, that promotes the dry styles of sherry with specific food. I mean, you know, uh, whether that's working with a large, you know, uh, cross-state retailer like Total Wine or with a group of retailers around the country. But, you know, to, to it's something to defeat the idea that sherry is only served either after or before dinner. Um, you know, that's that to me would, would potentially move it out of those sections. One of the things that you don't realize when you don't work in restaurants all the time is the speed of the interaction and how people, how, how even if they look at the list, they don't take that much time looking at the list. And so one of their binary decisions is I'm ignoring the whole dessert wine section. I, I like, I'm just looking for the Chardonnays or mm-hmm. I'm just looking for red wines that are 35 bucks. And mm-hmm. so if Sherry's in that section, it's gone from the decision process instantly, unless they actually are looking for dessert wine and then they don't want to try Sherry anyway, but it's, it's very speedy. So you need, you know, you need the customer to automatically associate Fino or Manzanilla Sherry with appetizers mm-hmm. in the restaurant or something mm-hmm. just to get people to, to re-identify what this wine is for and it's for mm. having with food of some kind, mm. um, you know, and that 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 to me might help. It what do you think, Nick? You've had um, considering you've been in actually been on the floor with yeah. the with the customer. Um, it's it's a difficult one to um, separate um, the fortified wines out, but there's a very good argument to try that. Um, the, the issue is that the consumer who expects to find dry white wines on, in the Spanish section wouldn't necessarily expect to see Fino on the shelf next to, you know, um, uh, um, a, a, a dry uh, white Spanish. Um, so, and also the alcohols are different as well. So it, it, it's a tough one. Um, but there's certainly um, a, um, a, a move, I think, afoot to, to separate them out, to have uh, dessert wines separate from um, the, the other wines you might enjoy um, at other parts of the meal or even as aperitifs. Um, and um, certainly, you know, with, with the new styles of drinks coming along as well, I think Sherry needs to make its mark in, that, in those categories because otherwise it's, it'll just get swamped by, by all the new stuff coming through. So I think this is actually, for me, my takeaway is one of the biggest 
challenges we've got is to actually, you know, we need to give the journalists another way, not one of the biggest, but from a PR perspective, we need to give them another way to talk about it because it's, it's old. Like it's, it's, to me, it's really lazy journalism that it's how it's used all the time. Um, um, but I think, you know, from, I'd be interested to take this up with you further, Georgia, later on how we could combat that. I would like to raise a glass, even though I've got barely any left, to you guys. Thank you for joining and thanks for being sherry lovers and and also for giving up your time on a Monday night and your information. And as well, and your information as your expertise, as um, Lou Stow says, is stay fortified. Stay fortified. Great. Salud. Thank you. The House of Lustau.